It's really good to be uh, back in my home church speaking. The last couple of weeks I've been in London and I've had to get up at six in the morning and travel, so it's great just to be able to jump out of bed and, and, uh, and come here. Fantastic. Um, really great just to, to hear what God's been saying just through Steve and Jenny and, and that sense of... Uh, I've been reading a book recently called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And um, it's really, really challenged me. And I, I don't think I can, can honestly stand here and say I can live it all out because it's just so challenging in the world and the culture in which we live. But I, I want to. And it's something to, to aim for and to put that time in our lives where daily we are coming to God and recognising God with us. So we're looking again at uh, the series again. And um, this is the final one in, uh, uh, I believe it's the final one in this series. And um, so and we're looking at, at Acts, Acts 2. And we've been looking, haven't we, that um, we've been discovering that a changed community changes the world. I don't know if this is working, but you might, if not, you might have to um, click along for me. Um, so a changed community changes the world. When a community has been transformed themselves then they can go and change the society around them. This week on Friday, I met a friend of mine who is um, the chaplain of Birmingham City Football Club. And um, I had coffee with him and he was so excited when I saw him and I said, hi, how are you doing? And uh, he, he said, I've just, I, I, I've just had the most amazing experience. And I said, why, what happened? He said, well, I was training with the first team in the, on the field, on the training ground. And he said, one of them came up to me at the end of the training and said, Kirk, I have to see you. And uh, he said, oh, OK, yeah, what's, what's, the, what's the problem? He said, no, there's no problem. He said, he said the thing is, is, I've been watching my friend who became a Christian just a couple of weeks ago and was baptised in your church. He said, the difference in him is remarkable. And he said, I want what he's got. He said, well, can you introduce me to Jesus too? And there on the training ground on Friday, another of the Birmingham City football team gave their lives to Jesus. That's the fifth one in a couple of weeks. And uh, I just want to, as he was sharing this with me, he was saying it's like we're seeing a mini revival. Um, now, I, I don't want to use that term. I know it's kind of, that term is, is, is huge. But what he's seeing there is, in, is, is amazing in that club. And he said he, he doesn't have to, it's almost like he said he spent uh, several years um, at that club as, as the uh, chaplain. And he's not really seen loads of fruit yet. But it, suddenly it's like it's God's timing. And something's happening. Something's changed. And uh, he said, I, I just have to, I don't always, he said, I don't even have to go and talk to people about Jesus now. He said, because they're doing it amongst themselves. And they're coming to him and saying, hey, will you pray with me? And that's exciting, isn't it? And I believe that we're living in a day that is really exciting, where the season is changing, where people are far more interested right now in Jesus than they have been for a long time. And are we ready um, for that moment. I just want to give you a little exercise a minute. I, I want you to think of the, the first car you, you owned, the first car you bought. Now, maybe you've never owned a car, so maybe you could think of the first time you did something that was exciting. That, um, and what I want you to do, so you, it may be that you, I don't know, went to a, the, first, the first concert you went to or the first film you saw in a cinema or whatever it is. But if, if it's the car that you can think of, then think of that. Okay, the first car you bought. So turn to the person next to you and just tell them of the first car or the first thing that you did. That, um, um, just 60 seconds, just really quickly tell each other.
Well, some of you look like you're getting quite excited about saying, I, I think back to my first car, and uh, my first car was a VW Beetle. It was, um, I bought it before I was seven. Anyone else had a VW Beetle, by the way? Oh, not many, okay. Um, it was my first car, and, and I was so excited about this. I've been saving up for this for a long time, doing my Saturday job and sticking up Skittles for a local Skittle team and doing all kinds of things for, for ages because I desperately wanted to drive. And on my 17th birthday, I have my two first driving lessons. I, um, I, I also have my mum sit next to me on the car so I could drive around, and I just wanted to... I passed my test fairly soon after, actually. But um, I remember that car. It was my, my, and I remember it gave me, because I lived in a, in a town which was very sleepy. Um, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't much happening. I grew up in a little town called Nailsy, just outside of Bristol. And uh, I remember an exciting day out as a young person, or exciting evening out, was to go to the local um, petrol station, because it, <laughs> it was the only thing open, other than a pub, and I wasn't old enough to go in the pub. So we'd go to the petrol station, buy maybe a can of Coke and a packet of Frazzles, go to the park, sit on the swings, chat, eat the Frazzles and the, and the Coke, and that was an exciting night out. And um, so you could see why I wanted to drive. I wanted to get into Bristol, I wanted to have fun, I wanted to go and see uh, all the things. And um, I, one day, I remember actually, um, the, as a youth, my youth leader said to me, um, we're, gonna, we're going to have a barbecue over at Weston uh, on the beach as a, as a youth group. And they said, oh, well, um, we haven't got enough um, cars, will one of your parents drive? And I said, no, I'll drive, I'll drive. I said, but I need someone to sit next to me. I can put my L plates on. And so one of the youth leaders called Anne, she agreed to sit next to me, and she was sat next to me with two bowls on her lap. One was a bowl of salad, the other was a bowl, huge bowl of coleslaw. And... Um, we got to this junction where we're about to turn left, and um, the car in front of me took off, and, le and then I looked right just to check there was nothing coming, as you would, and I thought, there's nothing coming, put my foot down, bam, straight into the car in front, because um, I think they'd stalled or something had happened, and this coleslaw went everywhere. <laughs> went all over her, it went all over me, it went all over the windscreen, all over the car, and um, I had to get a new bumper and get it sorted out pretty quickly, but we all got it cleaned up and it was okay. But um, I, I just remember that, and, and I'll never forget my first car. And, um, and it did get smashed written off once, but anyway. <laughs> but you know, as we look at the early church, as we look at the first church, the, the first church after Jesus had ascended, sent his Holy Spirit, and it was all new. It, it was all exciting, it was dangerous. And the church was seeing some incredible things, some incredible things. And this chapter starts with Pentecost, when the Spirit of God empowers the disciples to go and be his witnesses, and church gets started. Here we see an amazing picture of what church can be, of what church can look like. And in Acts 22, it's, um, uh, we, we read from verse 42, but if we read in verse 41, it says this, those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Wow, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? And then if we go to the end of um, that passage in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wouldn't that be an exciting church to be a part of? Where daily we're seeing new people be saved. I want to ask you a question, who added to their number daily? the Lord. 
And he did it. He did it. He was adding those who were being saved. It wasn't those from other churches. It was those who were being saved. I guess it was the first church. There weren't other churches, were there? But um, he was adding daily those who were being saved. And as I was reading this and preparing this, I was thinking, that's the norm. That's what God wants for us. And we've settled, I think, for something second best. And, And let's not settle for that. Because we want to see God at work, don't we? In this city, in our community. They'd, and So what did the early church do? And, and in this passage, it gives us a really good um, insight into what they did. In verse 42, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's what they devoted themselves to. I wonder if someone was to write... Some, uh, a sentence like that about what we devote ourselves to, what would it look like? It's a challenge, isn't it? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. These were the core things that were in place that enabled them to grow. You know, I hear a lot of churches talk about their amazing new um, lighting rig and, and this new staging and a new purpose-built building and amazing bands and um, the new coffee shop they want to start with the best coffee. All fantastic stuff, all brilliant things. I'm not knocking that, but it's not going to change the world. What's going to change the world is a church that returns to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, so let's have a look at, um, at these things. Let's start off with the um, apostles' teaching, or they were devoted to the message of the Bible. So, so what was the apostles' teaching? In Acts 1, just the chapter before, it says this. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So after Jesus has died, took the punishment for our sin, has rose again on the third day, and then he reveals himself to the disciples, and he's there with them for those 40 days. And this is what they devoted themselves to, what he taught them in those 40 days. And Luke gives us a little insight into what he um, said. In Luke 24, it says this. He said to them, this is Jesus, this is what I told you while I was with you, while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day, sorry, rise from the dead on the third day and repentance of for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. So what is the apostles' teaching? It's the fact that Jesus has it, the whole Bible right from, right from the beginning, right the way through. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about his, what he was going to do and the fact that we needed a saviour and God steps in. His rescue plan to come and rescue us. And that's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? 
that's the news that we've got to, to share. That's the news that, that's what he was trying to drill into his disciples for those 40 days. Look, can't you see? This has been prophesied and this has now happened. And now you have the opportunity to take it to the world and tell them I'm alive, tell them what I've done. And you know what? We can join in on that too. Isn't that fantastic? I remember um, a story. Sorry, let me... Um, my screen's just jumped to another place. Okay. So it carries on, doesn't it, to say, for the repentance forgiveness of sins. To, to, um, and he preached to, um, to all the nations beginning of Jerusalem. Okay, so the, the first thing was the apostles' teaching. Secondly... They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to each other. And I looked at the word fellowship. It's not really a word that we use very much now, is it? But um, the word fellowship in the, in the Greek when it was first used there was, was called koinonia. And uh, it's used 17 times in the New Testament. And it refers to community where everyone knows they have a place where they belong and are a valuable part of it. So no one is, is left out. The kind of, this kind of fellowship is quite difficult to experience in larger groups. Uh, it's, it's really hard, isn't it, to feel like you really belong to a larger group. So we need a few people that we can really connect with and share life with so that we have that sense of really belonging. And that's what we have here at Riverside. And I would encourage you, if, if you're not already part of a life group or part of a community group or in a prayer triplet or part of a missional team, then please get involved in one. Because that's where we can really start to share lives together and build those relationships where we can support each other and get involved in each other's lives and help each other grow in our faith. And we need that. We so, so need that. And I, afterwards, I remember a story about um, a guy who I met um, a while ago who went to this church. He became a Christian. He gave up the community that he was in in order to go to this church because he was involved in all kinds of drugs and different things. And he had to get out of the group that he was in in order to, to, to really get free from all of this stuff at the time. And um, the guy who was with him at church afterwards just shook him by the hand and said, Oh, it's so good to see you. See you next Sunday. And he just looked at him and went, See you next Sunday. How am I going to get through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? I, I, I need your help. I need you to hold my hand through the week. And do and you know what? Our, we need to be a church that's not just about meeting on a Sunday, but that we're with each other and supporting each other right the way through the week. John 15, 35 says this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I had a quick look, I don't know if you've ever tried this, but I had a quick look through the New Testament at the one another's. And I, did, I was quite astounded. I knew there were a lot, but I didn't realise quite how many there were. And I've just listed a few here, and this isn't all of them. So here we go. Love one another. Be at peace with one another. Show hospitality to one another. Honour one another. Receive one another. Do not fight with one another. Do not envy one another, admonish one another, greet one another, care for one another, bear the burdens of one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another, submit to one another, don't lie to one another, provoke one another to good works, comfort one another, concern yourselves in the affairs of one another, don't hate one another, do not grudge, hold a grudge against one another, highly esteem one another. 
Don't be partial to one another. Have fellowship with one another. Edify one another. Teach one another. Do good to one another. Exhort one another. Minister spiritual gifts to one another. And the list goes on. It can't, do you see a pattern there? We need one another. We were never supposed to make it on our own. We need the, the fellowship and the friendship of each other in order to make it through. Last Sunday, I, um, I, was, so I was speaking in a church in, um, in London, and I, I finished quite late in the evening, um, and I was driving home, and on the way home, I decided to stop at the services, at um, Oxford services, and as I walked in, I was horrified at what I saw. I, I, I saw people throwing punches at each other. I saw someone pick up a, a chair and smack it over someone's head. I saw people walking out with blood pouring down their, their faces. It, it was horrible. And then I realised what was going on. There were a few coaches that had arrived from the, from the cup final at Wembley. And there was Villa fans and City, Man City fans just having one big fight in the service station. And I was just thinking, man, what has our world come to? You know, I think these people would probably, if they didn't have those shirts on and were walking past each other, wouldn't have any problem with each other. And all of a sudden, they're beating each other silly. I tell you, our world needs to see a church or a people that know how to really love each other. Because that's what the world is looking for and that's what's going to be make the difference. Verse Psalm 43 says this, Everyone who was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, all of the believers who were together and, everyone, and, and had everything in common, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Well, if the other bit wasn't challenging enough, that's pretty challenging, isn't it? They sold the possessions to anyone who had need. I know um, Tim spoke on this really well just a few weeks ago when we looked at chapter 4. And um, in chapter 4 it says there was, they were, there was no needy among them because they looked after each other so well. And uh, we need to learn what generosity is all about, don't we? I know I do. And I, I know that there are people here, sat here today who have experienced generosity of others in this church. And I just want to encourage that and, and encourage more of that. And encourage us to look out for each other, look out for the needs of each other, and really get involved um, in each other's lives. I saw a little bit of this when I was in Algeria, um, uh, not very long ago. And um, in, in Algeria, I think I've mentioned to you before that there's only about 30 churches left in the nation of Algeria. And um, I went to spend a week with one of the pastors, and it was a life-changing week for me. Uh, he was just sharing about how um, to be a Christian there, you basically lose your rights to everything. You can't get a job, you can't buy a house, your children can't go to school, you can't have a bank account. Basically, it becomes really hard to live. And at Open Doors, we have the privilege from the churches here in the UK of, take, of taking out some financial help so that they were able to, um, to buy cattle, to buy grain, to be able to support themselves. We did kind of some micro loans so that they could start up a little business so that they could um, look after themselves and were able to um, provide for their family. But when I was with this pastor, he said the most remarkable thing. He, he said, you know what? He said, we, we, aren't, we can't go out and witness. It's just, we just can't do it. It's completely illegal. 
But he says, what we do do, he said, we, we just, um, we love each other and we pray. And he said, God sends them to us. And we are disappointed if there are less, we have, he said, we have baptisms every month. And we're disappointed if there's less than 100 people being baptised every single month. In a place where they're becoming nobodies. It's to the world's eyes. It's, it's incredible how if we live this way, the way that God calls us to live, then actually he will add the numbers. He will do things that we can't do of ourselves. Okay, so they uh, were, were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship. Thirdly, they were devoted to the breaking of bread, of communion, which we do here. I think monthly or so we share communion together, and Nathaniel was speaking about it just now. And um, they did this, but they did it in, in their homes. They met together in homes. In verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they were sharing communion together. They were keeping Jesus the central thing. They would, in the middle of a, they would have meals together, just like Jesus did with his disciples on that Last Supper. And when he broke the bread and gave it to them, he said, This is my body, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup. And he says, this is my blood which is shed for you and for, the, for the forgiveness of sins. And they would do this to remind themselves of what Jesus had done for them. And they did this in their houses. They would eyeball each other. There were people that knew each other, that were sharing life together, that broke bread together. And that is what kept them going. That's what kept them together, keeping Jesus in the cent- as the central thing. I know we're running out of time, so I'm going to press on. And the last thing it says here, they were devoted to was to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. They devoted themselves each day to, to acknowledging God, to acknowledging their need of God, to re- recognising that they cannot do it on their own, that they needed God. Uh, Brother Andrew started Open Doors that I work for. He wrote a book called Prayer is the Real Battle. And I believe it really is, you know. Prayer's the real battle. But I sometimes wonder whether we really believe that. I, 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 was, I was just, um, I loved, I don't know about you, the beginning of the year when we met together for prayer. I just thought that was a fantastic way to start the year. And just the excitement that, that started to bring and the presence that, of God that that started to bring, I just thought was incredible. And now I, I know we're meeting in homes and we're meeting in, um, monthly to pray. But let's not. Let's not, let's not forget. Let's not stop. Let's keep it going. Let's keep prayer central to what we do. That communication with God, recognising that we cannot do this on our own, that we need him. I, I, I remember there was um, my colleague uh, went to India just recently. And in India, she met um, this church that were really struggling. They'd seen a lot of people killed, other people put in prison, other people beaten for their faith. And she was there just to support them and encourage them. And they said to her, they said, where are you from? She said, I'm from England, from the UK. They said, can we pray for you? And she said, well, you can, but I've come because I want to encourage you. And, and they wouldn't let her get away with it. So they basically prayed, she said, for the next two hours. She said they got down on their knees, and many of them just with tears rolling down their faces. They cried out to God for our nation when they're going through a horrendous time. And I was like, wow, we, I, I, something in me needs to change. Where I just, I need to get desperate for God again. 
and come to God in, in prayer on a regular on a regular basis. So in closing, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And God added to their number daily those who were being saved.